Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups, and my guest today is Stephen Cardinale. Stephen, thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. Thank you, Kevin. I'm excited to be here, excited to talk to you, and excited to talk to your listeners. We had a little uh, little chat before we, we hit the big red record button, and and uh, I am really excited about just giving you space to kind of unpack, you know, some of your ideas, and especially that book that's right behind your head. But before we jump into <laughs> that, that one right there, yeah, that, that one right there, no shameless plug intended. No. <laughs> um, but but before we do that, I just wanted you to share a little bit about Stephen with our audience. Sure. So. I've been an entrepreneur for most of my life. Um, started when I was, you know, young with the paper route and start running sell companies. And the last company I had was a- actually a-, a fairly big win. And I learned a lot by being an entrepreneur on the ground. But I also decided that I needed to go to school and learn kind of what I call the lingua franca of business, so I could understand when people are talking about EBITDA and talking about cash flow. I don't look like a deer caught in the headlights. I actually can understand what they're saying. So I went to a UCLA and did a degree in economics, which UCLA actually has a very interesting program. They do not offer an undergraduate business degree, really. They consider that the blocking and tackling a business. They want you to learn the foundational principles, which are economics. And then I did an MBA from the Wharton School of Business. So you learn a lot about the the blocking and tackling, the carpentry of business when you go into your MBA school and you learn the foundation of economics at you know kind of an institution like UCLA. And those all helped me, but you don't need to have an MBA to be a successful entrepreneur. Bill Gates and you, you name it, you know, Steve Jobs, they don't. Yeah. Um, so you can understand the, the foundations of entrepreneurship without having to have the, the background. I just happened to go and get it because I thought it was an interesting thing to do. I learned more from starting, running, and exiting companies than I did for my MBA program. The MBA gives you this very tactical piece. So I've been doing that. Uh, I've been running companies mostly in software, so SaaS. Um, But the last company I started was a healthcare uh, SaaS company. I'm not a healthcare guy. I'm a tech and strategy guy. Uh, So I jumped into an arena in which my first hundred or so meetings, they would spit out terms and spit out ideas. I had no clue what they were talking about, which actually gave me an advantage because I didn't have old baggage that was right to the table. Exactly. So tell us about that company and then we'll, we'll kind of jump into the, the resulting knowledge base that you kind of derived from that. You, you mentioned off camera that uh, you had grown that company to a pretty substantial size. Yep. So we started with two employees, myself and my co-founder. We never raised venture capital. We never raised institutional money. We sold it when we had about 700 or so. Wow. Uh, That was, we were profitable every year by design because we didn't have a choice. We didn't have investor money burn through. So, and we had to make a living. So we came up with ideas that at the beginning fell flat on their face, didn't work, crashed and burned. We failed so many times. It's, you know, I tell my friends, um, I'm going to fail more times than most people will ever have a chance at bat, but that's what I want to do. And I think all entrepreneurs need to be able to fail forward fast. You don't want to bet the ranch, but you do want to come up with ideas that you can fund yourself because a lot of guys go out and they go, they think you're going to raise venture capital. That's majority of them are not. So mm-hmm. as entrepreneurs, 
build companies that immediately have a profit built into them. So you can take another swing at the back every single day. So that was a healthcare technology company. So we built software that it's not a sexy idea, but we built software that insurance companies use to help and uh, employers help use to streamline their operations. So we would walk into a customer and we would say, we can help you do this one particular task 10 times better, 10 times faster, or 10 times cheaper. And our goal was 10x. Either we're one-tenth the price, one-tenth the time, or we're 10 times better in terms of quality. And that got us meetings. And you have to be credible, but it really was a, a very humbling experience to be able to walk into a customer and have a customer say, yeah, I don't believe you, and then have to be able to go, well, let me show you. Um, so it was a healthcare startup, a healthcare technology startup. We built software. We tried to sell that software into organizations, everything. When we finally got big enough, we ended up with Walmart and AIG as our customers. When we were starting, it was companies you've never heard of with you know managers who couldn't care less about us. <laughs> um, but the ability to be better, faster, and cheaper all the time, no matter what, was the goal that got us to win customers. And then this was, I, specifically in the employee health care yeah, or health yeah. or uh, health benefit space, yeah, like, yeah. you know, how do we, it's like a, it's like a perk. If you lose weight, it's a perk. If you walk, it's a yeah, perk. Or if work, you, workers you know. comp, right? Okay. So manage workers comp, or we would manage uh, if you got hurt on the job and the company had was an insurance company had to manage your claim, they would use our software to make your, to manage the claim faster. Right. Um, so we would have software. And what was interesting at the end of the run of the company, I saw the writing on the wall is that we had to start to disintermediate ourselves. So we were successful, we were happy, we were fat and happy, we had customers and we realized we're getting commoditized. Other uh, competitors are taking our space. So we started to write software that put ourselves out of business. And oh, was that tough. Um, but so we would go in and we'd say, okay, we, we charged you one-tenth the price. We now have software that'll charge you one one-hundredth the price. And we're going to go get more customers because we know that our current customer base are going to, their revenue is going to go down by 90%. So that was actually the, the key to getting us acquired is that we focus on building software that other people didn't have. I mean, I have, I have interviewed a lot of people in the last three years on this podcast. I have never interviewed somebody that said we set out to cut our own throats by 90 percent absolutely because if we don't someone else will <laughs> we're going we to cannibalize ourselves 100 percent. i think that's something that all entrepreneurs have to do right all entrepreneurs have to figure out how to because you're going to get commoditized especially with mm -hmm. the internet everything's going to be a commodity so yep. brand matters and the ability to innovate matters right. so if you don't, you'll do well, and then someone else will come and do it better, faster, and cheaper than you, and you won't have put in the R&D, and suddenly you're out of business, right? Well, I, I appreciate you unpacking that The uh, as far as the, the company itself. And, you know, as we were talking a little bit off camera, I, the, you know, you were explaining a little bit about the, the book and, and some of the, mm -hmm. the foundational principles in the book. And I was, you know, the first thing that came to mind was like, Jim Collins, good to great, you know, yeah. the, the whole foundation of that book the thing that i i don't want to kind of you know preempt you here i want i want this space to be yours but the thing that i think is a is a real differentiator is the fact that you you know jim probably researched those companies right <laughs> you actually walked through them yeah you know right. and what a key difference so 
without further ado, let me just kind of get out of your way and and let's segue from that exit, that great exit you had of that that software company, the lessons that were learned, and and really let's let's just spend the rest of the time really drilling down on. Sure. Uh, you know, just the takeaways and the things that you, you know, you're, that are universals that you see out of that experience. So the, so the name of the book is called Synaptic Alchemy. So it's the, the magic that comes from between our ears, which is what all entrepreneurs do, right? We are going to turn lead into gold. Our lead is our ideas. The gold is going to be the implementation of the ideas actually imprinted. I, I talked about bringing pulling an idea from the heavens and imprinting it down here on terra firma. That's the alchemy piece. Because ideas are a dime a dozen. Who, who cares? I've got a thousand ideas. You've got a thousand ideas. They're essentially not worth anything. Um, implemented, well-executed ideas that have customers, those matter, mm -hmm. right? So the synaptic alchemy part is the synaptic is between our ears and the alchemy part is turning lead into gold. And that's actually what I, the name of the, the book is, Synaptic Alchemy, The Art and Science of turning lead into gold. So I have read, I mean, I'm a voracious reader. I read everything about innovation and business and my bookshelves are filled, you know, Jim Collins and Good to Great. And I hear podcasts like your podcast, great podcast. Everybody should listen to this podcast and your friends should listen to it too. Hey, <laughs> I didn't even pay for that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, The more stuff you can throw into your head, the better off you are. The innovation piece, the being able to come up with something that's going to turn from lead into gold. It wasn't just my last company, it was other companies that I had started, plus all the stuff that I've heard and consumed over the years. It, so it's, it's, it's really modern management theory. So it's based on, like you said, the Jim Collinses of the world, the Clayton Christensen's of the world, which is Innovator's Dilemma and Innovator's Solution. Every entrepreneur should read that and listen to it. Um, Chris, uh, Clayton Christensen was a Harvard Business School professor awesome guy, even all the way down to the stuff that Gary Vaynerchuk does. Mm -hmm. I've taken all of these ideas and then I said, okay, I need something fun, something interesting to connect them to. So I came up with the alchemical transformation. How do we turn an idea into gold? And it has three simple steps. Well, three easy steps. They're not necessarily simple. All good ideas, everything that's successful, everything from Amazon and Intel and Google all the way down to your, you know, your local corner store that's constantly busy selling cupcakes have all gone through the alchemical transformation, whether they know it or not, whether they can articulate it or not. And what I did was I looked back in history and as I was looking, you know, kind of figuring out what are the foundational pieces that have made me successful that all these innovators talk about, I realized that there are some very key and common milestones that we go through. And your audience should, should hear this as a way to really kind of frame their ideas. So there, there are three simple steps. So alchemy has everything from 50 steps to 20 steps. I mean, it's all sorts, it's all over the, the map because it's this old world thing. But I boil it down to three simple steps. Destroy something, create something, scale something. And in alchemy, there's three very simple words. There's three words for each one of those ideas. Negredo is destroy something. So it's take an old rule and we'll use one, let's say Amazon, a simple one. Old rule. Books have to be sold at bookstores. That's the only thing that Jeff Bezos was thinking about when he started. It's easy for us to understand now because we can see it in the rearview mirror. 
it's hard to do a priori in advance. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, and you'll read this in the book, if you get a chance to read the book, or if you take the course, uh, one of the things that is really important is to understand why are your customers doing what they're doing? So why are people buying books at bookstores? What the old rule is all books have to sit at a physical bookstore. I'm going to destroy that. I would challenge your audience to be able to write down three pieces of what an old rule is that their customers are doing. What are they doing? Why are they doing it? And what would the world look like if they couldn't do it anymore? So if you think about what Amazon does, they do did exactly that. You know, what are people doing? I want a book because, you know, Kevin told me there's a great book I should read. I got to go to a bookstore to get it, right? Before Amazon, there was no way that I was going to get this book. Right. Uh, I remember used to go into this old kind of, not rundown, but kind of rundown bookstore called OpAmp in Los Angeles. And they had technical books and technical manuals. It was the only place you could find anything really technical about computer science. And But you had to drive to this place. You had to park your car and make sure your car wasn't going to get broken into. <laughs> you had to go on those days. You know, you got to go to work, but the Darren bookstore is only open from nine to five. Mm -hmm. It was very complicated to get the book I wanted. So what are people doing? They're trying to get information that one person has told another person. Kevin says, you got to read this book, which means I got to go find a physical store to buy it or order it because lots of times they didn't have it. Why am I doing it? Because that information is important to me. And back before Amazon, what would the world look like if I couldn't do it? I'd have to go to a library. I'd have to figure out, I'd have to call the manufacturer. I'd have to do a lot of, I probably wouldn't get the information. So I would challenge your entrepreneurs to figure out what old rule, old rules, and I do this in kind of my brainstorming sessions, are you destroying? And it's hard to think about, I'm gonna build a company, which is a creative endeavor, and then very next statement, what am I gonna destroy? Like, oh, that's hard. How do I gonna destroy something? So that's the first step. Is that, can I ask, is that similar to like, what is a customer pain point? I mean, is it, it, it almost sounds like there's a little overlap there that, that yeah. you know, how are you solving a, a customer pain point type thing? Yeah. And, and right. So customers have pain. So I actually have what I consider a, a, um, a three-prong approach for why, how customers move. I call it problem, pain, symptom. And you'll understand this in a second. The problem is I eat too many cheeseburgers and too many French fries and I have a terrible diet, right? But kale's not my best friend yet, right? I'm still gonna right. go to McDonald's, right? You know, I have a pain, you know, I could lose 10 or 40 pounds and <laughs> I huff and puff going up the stairs, but I still don't really change my diet. So the customers, if you think about it, they'll have a problem. Maybe they recognize it, maybe they don't. They have a pain, which is causing them some discomfort then when your right arm hurts, you're numb in your, your, your jaw, you're calling 911, the paramedics have you on the gurney, you have the symptoms, what's the symptomology, suddenly kale's your best friend, suddenly yeah. you're talking to, I swear if I get through this, I will eat kale yeah. chips the rest of my life, right. I'll become a, a Lord, kale. I promise I'll never go to McDonald's again. <laughs> That's right. Um, so customer pains tend to move along the problem, pain, symptomology threshold. And customers only move once it gets the symptom. The symptom might be, I'm gonna get fired if this thing doesn't happen, that's a professional mm -hmm. symptom. The symptom might be, my husband or wife is going to scream at me if I come home late again, I'm working too hard, right? You can figure out what the symptom is. That gets wrapped up in the, 
what's the what's the old rule that customers are using? Right. So for example, one of the old rules that our customers had, to make it real simple, was have to buy from IBM. You guys are a startup. I have to buy from the big company because the big company, even though they're 10 years behind you and they're 10 times as expensive, they're the ones who won't get me fired. Mm. So that was the rule that my sales team had to destroy, that it's actually less safe to stay with the old company because when your boss sees your competitor doing something different, you absolutely will get fired. So their, their symptomology was, I'm going to get right. fired. Their pain was staying with the old, the old rule was staying with you know, the big company is the thing I have to do. So you'll have all of these, um, these three levels, destroy something, create something, scale something at all different levels of your business. Your sales team will have them. Your operations team will have them. Your finance team will have them. Your product team will have them. Your customer, your marketing, your customer acquisition team will go through this same process through your entire business. That makes sense. Sure, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Yeah, I think I interrupted your transition from step one to step two. Here. Sorry. <laughs> right. Yeah, you'll have to just keep me in line because I'll go. On, I'll talk about this for days. Um, so step two is albedo, which is the name of the step in uh, alchemy, and it really is create something. So it's create something from the ashes of the thing that you destroyed. It is create a new rule. Jeff Bezos and Amazon's new rule was you can buy any book in existence off this new thing called the internet, the website, right? Without, and I can have it delivered to you at the beginning. It wasn't, you know, the very next day. It was, you know, four or five days later. But I can have a million books in my inventory and you can choose anything and you don't have to get up and go to the darn bookstore and it will be delivered to you. So old rule, books have to be sold at a physical bookstore. New rule, any book in the universe you can have at your doorstep in the next four or five days by going on this web browser thing. And you got to remember, Jeff won. We all know that. Because right? yeah. <laughs> he, he got as foundational as you could get because he moved from books, his focus absolutely was on books at the beginning to everything because after a while he realized yeah, cheap capital and changing the way commerce works. Yeah, that's that's a couple trillion dollar idea, and we watched him do it. Um, but if you, you you name a company that has been successful, and we can walk through and do kind of a hot seat of the destroy an old idea. What's the new idea that was core? So this is um, Jim Collins' good to great is kind of his hedgehog concept, right? The core thing they work on, right? And then scale. So what's interesting is you'll see big companies and even entrepreneurs. We'll go, let's do a brainstorming session. And they'll come up with all sorts of things. And if you read the book or you type in brain, why brainstorming doesn't work, McKinsey will have all sorts of things. We'll go into brainstorming and we'll come out with a thousand ideas, none of which will ever get implemented. So <laughs> endless <laughs> meetings, endless meetings. <laughs> Little and we'll result. With, yeah. And we'll come yeah. up with ideas. Well, let's put wings on it. <laughs> you know, let's fly. <laughs> let's make, you know. Um, so what's interesting is the progression from old idea, destroy it, to new idea, but the new idea has to replace the old idea. So if we're going to come up with the people have to buy books at bookstores, the new idea can't be, let's change how publishing works. That's, that's, a, that's a different idea. If you believe that the old rule is the one you can disintermediate, disintermediate, then the new rule has to be, how do I fill that space? And that's, that's where, you know, these ideas really start to, to take life. Um, and in, you know, from the rear view mirror, mirror, easy to see. 
right? You know, Apple right. and everybody needs a thousand songs, you know, in this thing called a new thing called an iPod when all we had were Walkmans. We all agree that that's easy to see. It's not easy to see in advance, mm. right? And this is where entrepreneurs really have to have the fail forward fast kind of idea. You're going to create a bunch of new ideas that your customers will not care about. And I tell my team all the time, there's a couple of phrases I use uh, that we call commanders intents, which is how we ran our business. And one of them is, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's never going to be about you. It's either about your partner, your wife, your husband, your kids, or your customers. So one of the things that entrepreneurs tend to trip up on is their new ideas sound great to them, but they're not looking through the world through their customers' eyes. That is, that's a, that, that is a killer. It's killer. That, I mean, in not just only in the entrepreneurial circles, but marketing. Yep. I mean, the marketing world is a disastrous place <laughs> because they, they tend to think, okay, what is attractive? What is catchy? What is edgy? Mm -hmm. What is, I mean, any, any adjective that ends in Y, yep. you know, or, or, and, but they've, they've rarely taken the customer journey. They've rarely said, okay, what, let's look at it through our, our, you know, our best, our avatar customer's eyes. Yep. And I, I mean, I love the, just the way that you, you kind of walk through this and, and as, as you're kind of transitioning, maybe from two to three, I want to, I want to ask a question when you said it, it's gotta be, you got to destroy an old rule and, and create a new one. Yep. It sounded like to me that the two ways to kind of, kind of capture that would be like, it has to replace and improve, you know, yeah. is that, is that fair? Yeah. I mean, it, the new rule has to replace the old rule. Um, it has to be a better solution than they had before or not. It just has to replace it. I don't think so. I mean, yes, it does. You know, the question is like, if we, let's look at Amazon. Mm -hmm. When we first started to buy books, it wasn't necessarily better because, you know, we were worried about putting our credit cards in. The payment right. processing wasn't quite as good. I could run down to the, you know, corner bookstore, you know, but he replaced the, the, the rule wasn't, I can get you the Harry Potter books faster than Barnes and Noble can because Barnes and Noble had an inventory of them, right? He said, I can get you any book. Yeah. And I don't remember the yeah. name of the first book, but the first book that somebody bought on Amazon was a very technical book. Um, it wasn't Harry Potter. So um, it does have to be better, faster, and cheaper because you do have to have that kind of that trifecta right. of you know, the, the problem and symptomology. Problem is sometimes people don't know that they're having the symptoms when they're having the symptoms. We all yeah. didn't know that we need to have a thousand songs on our iPod. Right. You know, with Steve right. Jobs. Maybe over time it has to improve. Maybe, maybe it has to deliver a better experience or maybe the customer will go back to the old rule. I mean, I, That's right. I mean, is That's that right. a, you don't want that, that return trip here. That <laughs> yeah, you effect. don't want so, that. If yeah. you suck so bad, they go back to using the old rule. <laughs> We're going back idea. to brick and mortar. Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Then uh, what's interesting is, and you'll see, you know, if you talk about like crossing the chasm, the book by Jeffrey Moore, lots of companies, the chasm itself is littered with the corpses of bodies of companies that had their customers go back to the old rule mm. that they couldn't fulfill the better part of your yeah. equation right yeah. and yeah. and i think that that's you know so you don't necessarily have to be better today mm -hmm. you just have to replace the old rule that has some symptomology that your customers care about right right, right. um and then one of the things you know I study stoicism as a, you know, kind of a business process. And one of the pieces is 
I want to kind of tie this back to your, your statement about marketing is ego is the enemy. Ego is anytime we say I, so your marketing, you know, analogy you're talking about was, I think mm-hmm. this thing would be better. I think this would be the coolest fashion. The problem is no one cares what you think. It's not about you. It'll never be about you. It never has right. been about you. Right. What does your customer think? Right. So lots of entrepreneurs, me included, I've done that. I mean, I'm, you know, culpable about this a thousand times. Uh, I'll give you a real clear example. I had a t-shirt company way back when, and uh, I thought this one design that we had was terrible. I'm not a fashion guy. I'm, I'm a tech and strategy guy. No one's going to buy this. It came from the manufacturer. It had defects on it. It was purple. It was supposed to be pink. I said, send it back, throw it out. My director of operations said, you have no clue what the customer is going to want. No, they're not going to want this. I, of course, my opinion matters because, you know, I'm the best thing out there, at least according to me, right? We put it on the, on the website, sold out like that. And I was like, oh, that's a humbling experience for me to think that this is terrible and send it back. And it ended up being one of our most profitable items. It's time to go back to your Marcus Aurelius books, I guess. Or your 100%. 100%. Eco is the enemy. So one of the... Um, statements that that I say. So we have like these little sound bites that helped run our company. We actually ran our company with 35 sound bites and they're called Commander's Intents. Those come from a book called Made to Stick and those are actually part of the mm-hmm. military. Yeah. Um, and one of them is a better question is more important than the right answer because it's usually the right answer to the wrong question. Mm. That's when your ego is getting involved. So again, I would challenge your entrepreneurs when they're trying to come up with the, what do I create? What's the new rule? Instead of saying, I know I have the answer to what the new rule is, what are the questions that your customers are asking? Like, I didn't know my customers were asking in their heads, well, these guys are too small. How are they going to get me fired? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know that until I started to talk to my customers, right? So asking questions until you're down to the most basic atomic level is vital. And as entrepreneurs, we tend to think that well, we got all the answers. But the reality is we should just have better questions. I, I love, I, I mean, that is, that is so true in even broader than business. I mean, that's so true in just relationships, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, just life in general. So, yeah. so we know that, that, you know, we've got to destroy something. We know we've got to create something. And then what's the, what's kind of the next step? So the third one is to breathe life into it. It's called Rubedo. It's about breathing blood into your idea. And it's to scale something. So that's really to take these. Now you have your new rule, your new idea, and you're going to lay it on the ground. If it's not scalable, it's never going to work. If you can't figure out how to make 100 million loaves of bread, right? Because then you're figuring out how to systematize being a baker and you're going to bake a thousand loaves of bread. You're going to go bankrupt really soon because you won't be able to sustain it. So the language around Rubedo, the language around scale something is make it so easy that anyone can do it and so accessible that everyone can get it. So that's when we were, you know, really kind of slitting our own throats going, okay, we have to do this. What we used to do required nurses and doctors because that's how our, our, our company worked in our software. And we're now going to take our software and allow someone who's an assistant to do it. We're going to get rid of the expertise. This actually comes almost directly from Clayton Christensen um, and his model, the innovator solution. 
So again, this is not just stuff that came out of my head. This is all well-researched management theory and innovation theory that's been around a long time. I've just packaged it in a way that I think people can understand it, right? So we made this our software. Our goal was to make it so simple that anybody could use it. If you think about the guys who do this the best, who nailed it, and we all know them, Google. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have some question, crazy question in my head that needs an answer, and I'm going to stick yep. it in a little box. It's about <laughs> as simple as you can get. And Google's going to play God and give me the answer. <laughs> yep. And they're pretty good at it. They're pretty good. Yeah, they're pretty ubiquitous. <laughs> right. yeah. And they made it so accessible that anybody could get it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things you'll see in the, in the book is you'll hear, I'll, I'll talk about friction. So we were in the healthcare space. Lots of entrepreneurs will go, well, I don't want people to be able to do this. They have to put in their credit card first. They're going to increase the friction yeah. for customer adoption. It's the exact wrong thing to do. You need to decrease the friction for customer adoption. In our space, healthcare, we had the government we had to worry about with regulations. Mm. So we had, you know, uh, my director of operations, and he had a couple of guys who would look through, you know, these regulations, these complicated things, talk to our attorneys and figure out how we could reduce the governmental overhead that our customers would have to deal with. And that, that was some of the ways that we would close business. We would say, if you use us, you know those 100 pages that you normally have to fill out every three months? Those go away. If you use the big customer, the big vendor, those 100 pages you have to fill out every month, and by the way, if you make, make a mistake, you're going to get fired, you still got to do. We reduced the customer's friction. So Rubedo getting blood, it's like the circulatory system mm -hmm. of, your, right. of your business. How do I scale? How do I make things easier? How do I reduce friction? How do I make it so anyone can do it and everyone can get it? <clears throat> and again, you don't have the answers. You're an entrepreneur. You need to have better questions. Is it a little bit the kind of the first, uh, what is it, the first entry advantage or first? Um, first mover advantage? Yeah, first mover advantage. I mean, if, if you make it so simple and so accessible that anybody can do it. I mean, to me, it, that's also very easy to replicate and, and to knock off. Yep. So you better be scaling pretty quickly, getting your market share, yep. getting in, you know, getting your brand established and yep. then all, you know, continually improving on what you're doing. So you're always that, that cutting edge, you know, yep. of, Absolutely. of your space. But I, I, I do want to uh, call you out on something because before sure. we talk, we started talking, you know, a lot of this, you, one thing you mentioned was a lot of these lessons were learned in the process of actually running a business. Yeah. I think you've been a little too self-deprecating here because <laughs> you keep referring back to, you know, Jim Collins and other, you know, other authors and other books yeah. and things like that. But a lot of this, I mean, it's not just information you just have kind of poached and plagiarized from all these sources and put in your own little form. Right. I mean, walk, let's, let's take, let's go down one more level and say, you know, how did, how did you practically walk these out? Were these less, were these hard lessons learned? Were they, oh. you know, like out of failure that this, you know, this Phoenix rose out of the ashes type thing. So yep. let's, let's get really granular and practical here. Like how you did this epiphany, you know, just kind of was birthed. Yeah. So let's talk, um, you know, so like I said, so all three of these concepts, get applied to all different areas of your business. So let's just mm -hmm. talk about sales in, in my business. Um, it happened because we weren't, so for the sale, the sales piece of this, what idea are we going to destroy? 
the idea that we destroyed um, on my sales guys at the beginning all had quotas. They all had to go out and close deals. And mm. I'm like, that's a stupid idea because if they could close those deals, they get commissions, they would have already done it. So the idea I destroyed was no. I can hit pause right now and we won. <laughs> <laughs> we won yeah. the internet today with that quote right there. Um, so the idea was you still get commissions. You still get a share in the success, but no more quotas. And boy, did I get pushback from my sales guys. No, I have to have a quote. I'm like, why? You didn't hit it. Why do you need a quota? <laughs> do you like failure? <laughs> right. <laughs> so we got rid of all quotas. <clears throat> so again, this is now, now we're kind of going more micro mm -hmm. and we could do this for my customers. We could do this for this, you know, the sales process. We could do this for financing, right? Like, you know, would I have to go get finance? Do I have to get venture capital? Actually, no, I don't. How do I grow without, again, just better questions. But on the sales guys, it was no more quotas. Here's what you're going to do. We're all going to agree that we're going to come up with a sales process that we all believe actually works. You know, so one of the other things that you'll hear me say is you can't lose 10 pounds and you can't make a million dollars. And ooh, do I get pushback on that from everybody I say that to? They're like, oh, yes, I can. I say, no, you can't, because if you could, you'd already go and press that button and do it. Right. <laughs> what you can do is eat perfect food, you know, eat great food feed your body nutritiously, go to the gym, and at the end of a month, you will have lost 10 pounds. What you can do is figure out what your customers care about, figure out what scares them at night, help them sleep well at night, talk to them in ways they can understand you, and at the end, give them a product that's well-priced, and at the end of the year, you'll make a million dollars. So outcomes, being attached to outcome, I need a quota, I destroyed that idea. And we had sales guys who were like, well, you're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. You're never going to grow this company. And they left. And I was like, oh, man, I just lost a real good sales guy because I think I'm so smart that I'm going to destroy you know, quotas. But we did. And then what we did, we said, the new idea is that what matters is not how many dollars you sell, but how many customers you talk to in a way that they need to hear. That was the new rule. And then be able to put it in a way. So that's the, the albedo, that middle piece. Yep. And then the end piece, the rubedo was in order to do that, we spent almost a year building a system. We worked on our business instead of in our business. Right. So me and the VP of sales, I say, guess what, Mr. VP of sales, you're not going to go sell anymore. And he was like, what? I said, you're going to build a process. And, the pro and for example, our process was when our sales team would get together, we would go, you need to talk to the, the manager who has a product. You need to talk to IT. You need to talk to legal because all of these guys could kill in our mm -hmm. business, could kill a deal. And we would come back and our sales guys would have a very specific set of questions that they would have to answer from the legal team. The legal team was nowhere to be found when it came to buying software. But right. Yeah, but they will be. So they had a simple process that any sales guy could drop into and report to us so it was easy enough and accessible enough they could do it. So we took, and, and that was just me doing it because I had to close deals. I couldn't figure out how to close deals. And I was like, this old way of doing sales is not working. And that's when eventually, you know, I kind of looked back on that from Synaptic Alchemy and said, oh yeah, I destroyed an old idea. I replaced it with a new idea and I made it so scalable and simple that we could drop sales guys into our process. Yep. And that started to work. So that's where wow. it came from. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I love that. And I, and I would imagine that had if we had the time to unpack that, you could almost go to each department, you know, yeah. of your, 
of your organization and the organization as a whole. So hundred percent, you know, as we, as we're kind of wrapping up today here, just, just kind of let's, let's tie a bow around this. And, Mm -hmm. and um, so what, what is the main takeaway if, if you want, you know, our listeners to really glean something today. And and we're going to circle back with, you know, how to contact you and how to find your book online, that type of thing. But what's, what is one thing that maybe we haven't touched on that you really says, this is a key thing. If you don't hear anything else today, this is it. That's a great question. Um, It's a hard question to answer without kind of rehashing what I already did (laughs) is that all success has gone through the alchemical transformation, those three steps, whether they know it, or not. And if you miss them, you're going to trip and odds are you're not going to be successful. So if you don't do it, you're going to trip. You're going to copy somebody else, right? I'll give you a real clear example. There's a restaurant right near where I live. It's been five restaurants. I keep wondering why people go bankrupt, leave, and then another guy comes Mm. in immediately, opens up another exact restaurant. And then, you know, a year later, he closes his door and another guy leaves because they're not doing any alchemical transformation. They're not thinking through anything. They're just copying. So it goes all the way down to your local corner restaurant, all the way up to Amazon. The alchemical transformation, it's easy to understand. It's simple to understand. It's not easy to implement. But if you do it, and there's a hundred thousand hurdles between here and there, you will be successful. I, uh, I mean, one thing that that you were talking about that that came to mind a lot was the idea of this almost the lean startup, you know, the mm-hmm. the MVP idea, and you know that you're almost you're almost creating testing, you know, and and if it works, great, let's scale it. If it doesn't, let's not, because you you talked about you know as a startup, you're if you're bootstrapping this especially, you know, you've got to mm-hmm. be profitable early. Yep. You know, and so you got to fail fast, fail forward and, and, you know, kill it in, in the early stages if it's not working. And I love the way that you said, you know, a great idea is only a great idea if it's actually acted upon yep. and if it can scale. Yeah. You know, there may be a great idea up. that you can't scale that yep. that is never going to, you know, get you to the, the point that you want to get to. So, yep. uh, Stephen, I, I am so grateful you taking the time tonight and, and uh, just really walking us through this, uh, you know, your books and alchemy and, and uh, we will certainly have a link in the, the show notes. And right. um, you also, I think offline mentioned that there's a course that, that people can yeah. take that will have the link in there as well. Yeah. Uh, but where's the best place to find you online? Um, so you can find me on LinkedIn, just me personally. So mm-hmm. if you just go to LinkedIn and type in my name, Stephen Cardinale, you'll find me. Uh, if you go to Facebook slash Synaptic Alchemy, you'll find our Synaptic Alchemy kind of community and they ask questions and I post, um, I'll post if a podcast comes out, I'll post if I'm going to write an article, you'll see them on LinkedIn, you'll see them on the Facebook. Those are the two best places to go. And then synapticalchemy.com is where you can find uh, the book. And if you go to snapcalchemy.com slash mini hyphen email hyphen course, you can get basically everything I just told you for free uh, as an email. You'll get things like seven days. Um, and if you buy a book and you send it uh, the receipt to pod at synapsicalchemy.com, once the virtual course is ready, probably towards the end of this year, you'll get that for free. And that normally runs about 195 bucks. Wow. What a, what a great gift to our listeners and, and listeners of other podcasts that you might be on. But um, I, once again, I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a, a great conversation and, and uh, 
I, I would love to have you back sometime and, and we'll, we'll start a part B of our, of our conversation. Because <laughs> I, I we'll know put that somebody in a hot seat. Haunted we'll, churn. We'll That's exactly right. We're saying, their business. <laughs> you said you were going to do this six months ago. What, what's the result? What That's is the right. result? But, we'll see what happens. Um, yeah, yeah, Stephen, thank you again for you, really just excited. taking the time and and uh, just walking us through this and and uh, really just uh, teaching us a masterclass in this, you know, 45 minutes we've had a chat, but really playing your part and just helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Stephen, yep. have a great weekend. Appreciate it. Thank you. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.